Well, if you'll open your Bible to page 883, we're going to be over in the Gospel of Mark this morning. I want to talk to you today uh, about one of my very favorite Bible stories. Now, all of you probably have not just one favorite Bible story. Most of us really have probably several favorite Bible stories. I think about that like when I was a little boy growing up, what was one of my favorite Bible stories. And then as you journey on in life, Maybe those stay with you as your favorite, but then you probably develop some other Bible stories that maybe fit where you are in life. And one of my very favorite is that story about these four men that brought a paralyzed man to Jesus to be healed. And what makes that my favorite story is the way they went about getting the man to Jesus. And we're going to look at that today in Mark chapter number two. Actually, the story is in Matthew, it is in, of course, Mark, we're going to read, and it's in Luke's, not in John, but it's in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it's interesting, um, the stories are almost the same, but there are some little tidbits here and there in the different uh, gospel records of this story that make it even better. So if you ever want to do something fun, you might want to read it in Matthew and read it also in Luke. But let's look. Let's look here in Mark chapter number two. The Bible says again, Jesus entered Capernaum after some days and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to Jesus, bringing a paralyzed man who was carried by four men. In other words, this man's like on a cot. He's kind of on a little bed, a stretcher of some kind. I picture this, and here these four men are, presumed to be good friends, probably one at each end, and they're carrying him. And, and they, but when they, verse 5 says, when they could not come near Jesus because of the crowd. So when they got him to the house, there were so many people in the house they couldn't, they couldn't get Jesus in the house. Now, I wonder, maybe they, if they couldn't get him in through the door, you wonder, well, maybe could they look in a window and maybe somehow get in through the window. But as you read the story, that's not what happened. It says, when they could not come near Jesus because of the crowd, what they did, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralyzed man was lying. Now, in Palestine, most of the houses in Jesus' day, and even if you go to Jerusalem today, you see much of this, they, they have flat roofs. And back in, in Jesus' day, that would one reason would be is people would go up on the flat roof in the cool part of the day and evening, and they would sit there, and maybe even at nighttime, perhaps sometimes if it's real hot, sleep there. No air conditioning back in the day of Jesus, and so to have a flat roof is a very normal thing, and there would always be an exterior stairs to get you up on the roof. Now, they, they, they let this man down through the, through the roof, and verse 5 says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemy like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately Jesus, when he perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven you or 
to say to him, Arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed and go your, to your house. And the Bible says, Immediately he arose, he took up his bed and went in the presence of them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Well, I wanted to read the story. We could have told the story. You probably already know the story backwards and forwards, but it's very, very interesting thing. Now, it's interesting to me, if you look in verse five, the Bible says when Jesus saw their faith. Now, whose faith? Well, I think, first of all, obviously the faith of the, of the four men who had brought him to Jesus, like when they got there and couldn't get him in, they could have just said, well, you know, we tried, but they could have just turned around, taken him back to his home. And then I think about the faith that Jesus saw in this man that was paralyzed. First of all, uh, you know, he had, he had faith to believe enough to get on the cot and let them take him to where Jesus was. And then he had faith. They had to drag the cot up the stairs to get on the roof. And the fact that he would even present himself to Jesus, uh, he admitted he had a need. So I, I think it's talking about the four men. I think it's talking about Jesus. Now, I think there's a great life lesson in this story. Here's what the life lesson is. Jimmy sang about it. It's this whole idea of persistence. Persistence. You see, persistence finds a way, whatever the difficulty, whatever the opposition, and not only that, the results always will be rewards. Now, certainly that's true in this story. I mean, here's this man, his sins are forgiven. And not only that, if you look in verses 11 and 12 again, uh, he just immediately got up, took up his bed, his cot, his mat, whatever he was led on, and went out in their presence. So, I mean, the rewards here are great, great rewards, and I bless, I bless the Lord for that. Now, you know, as I was thinking about this story, this whole idea of persistence, you know, I, you know the idea you stay with something, no matter what uh, the challenge is, no matter what the difficulty is, you know, like st the, the old saying, starting is half finishing. I think that's very true. Many times, if we can just get started with something, we find the rest of accomplishing what he was trying to do is going to work out fine. But persistence is a great quality where no matter what you encounter in life, you just keep plugging away, you keep at it, you persist. And, and we see this in a beautiful way in this story. Now, I want to share a couple of lessons that, uh, that I learned from lay people. You know, preachers, we, we learn probably more from our members than uh, sometimes we want to admit, maybe even that we're aware. We're supposed to be teaching them, but I've learned that they've taught me probably a lot more than I've taught them because it's one of me and many of them, and you learn from them. In, in my first church after seminary, now, I was 31 years of age when I graduated from seminary, and I went to be the pastor of a church over in the Knoxville, Tennessee area. And I followed a man who had been at the church a long, long time, and he had died. And his wife was still not only in the church, she still lived in the parsonage. And, and we're going there to be the pastor. 
And, uh, you know, I'd never been, you know, I'd never thought about following a minister who actually died while he was a minister. That's a, they need to, they need to kind of put some curriculum in seminary and teach you how to do that. But we just always was nice to her and worked our way through all of that. But be that as it may, I'd been at the church about three years. And one morning, a man, I will call him a farmer. His name was Mr. Jack Brazil. I can still see that he, he, he lived kind of out in the country part of where I was. And he had a lot of land. And, you know, he, uh, in, his, in his prime days, he had, he had done a lot of farming and things. But he kind of was uh, on up in the years. And he still did what he did. But it was not like he used to do. But anyway, he, he wore these old overalls. You know, they had the strap over them, the thing on the top. And he came, I'd visited him over the, I'd been there three, about three years when he came to make this visit. I'd been in his and his wife's home n- numerous times. And so I knew him well, but he came, first time he'd ever come. And he said, hey, I want to visit with you a few minutes. He said, uh, I, I want to share something with you. He said, you know, you've been here about three years. And I said, well, that's, that's about right. And he said, uh, you were raised in the country, in Georgia. I said, that's correct. He said, then you know something about ruts in a field. I said, yeah, I know all about ruts in a field. Now, if you're raised in the city, you may not know about ruts. But out in a field, I remember we bought all this land. I remember the time that, that we just had all this land. There's nothing on the land, but there was there were two ruts. You could actually drive kind of across much of this land. But ruts get formed where tractors or cars or trucks or vehicles have just gone out through the field, and they keep going in this in, on this same dirt. And after a while, it almost kind of is like a little a little dirt highway out in a field. He said, "You know about ruts, don't you?" I said, "Well, yes, I do." He said, well, he said, I've been watching you. Now that was when he got, I was enjoying the story till we got to this part. He said, I've been watching you for three years. And he said, what I've come to tell you, I want to share something with you that, that, uh, that I think is, that I've observed. He said, have you ever driven an old truck through a field on two ruts? Now I think we have a picture of that going on the screen. There it is. All right, now there's an old truck, and if you look closely, the truck's tires are on, on these ruts. It's almost like a railroad track's parallel, except it's dirt. Now, if you look straight ahead, you see a pond of water. And here's what Mr. Brazil said to me that I never have forgotten. He said, you know, I've been watching you. He said, you know, now you did this as a boy. You would you'd drive out through the field on the two ruts, and you kind of get to a a, a, a huge, he called it a mud puddle. And he said, now, here's the situation. If, if it's a good bit of water and you get up to the mud puddle and you floorboard the truck, you'll probably drown it out. Now, back in years past, you know, trucks had uh, spark plugs and all kinds of things. And if you really ran through a bunch of water and heard splash all the water up under the hood on the, and it just drowned the vehicle out. He said, so he said, now that's one way to get through a mud puddle. You just get to it and floorboard it and you just gun it out. And you said, you, you're probably going to, uh, the engine's going to go off. He said, now 
Another way to get through the rut, or try to, you, you get right in, the, you just ease into that pond, and you get right in the middle, and you stop and look out the window to see how things are doing. And when you do, you're stuck. He said, now there's another way to get through. He said, you get to the mud puddle, and you just go slow. You don't gun it. You don't get out in the middle and stop. You just keep slowly moving through that mud puddle, and you'll finally get out of it. I thought, now where in the world is he going with this story? This is when he came back. He said, I've been watching you for three years. He said, here's what I've observed, and I commend you for it. He said, you've, you've made a lot of changes in three years in this church, but you've never gunned it. You never got in the middle and stopped and got stuck. You just keep slowly plugging away. And he said, I want to encourage you as a minister. He said, you're young now, but one day you'll be much older. He said, I just, from my side of the pew, pulpit, I think ministers are wise to have persistence and just plug away and give the people time to figure it out and catch on. And I share that today to say, uh, I never have forgotten that story. Now, my second church uh, after seminary was First Baptist Church, Sulphur Springs. And there was a man in that church. His name was Billy Wayne Harry. Now, my friend over here is Bill. His was Billy Wayne Harry. This is Bill Harry over here. And when I first got to know you back when we were trying to buy all this land, you were to guide us and help us in that. I had a hard time not calling uh, Bill. Uh, now I'm having a hard time now getting about Bill Harry, not, not Billy Wayne Harry. He pronounced the name Harry. Well, now this guy, he, he well, he was a lot of things. He owned some uh, oil companies. And, but his big deal was he was, a, he was in the cattle business. And he, he, his pet thing in the cattle business was uh, the, the brainers. And he had a bull. Now, I know this is going to sound like a lot of bull when I tell this. But he had a bull that I was at the auction when he did it. He paid a million dollars for a bull. I'd never thought of anybody doing such a thing as that. Of course, he knew exactly what he was doing. Now, he could have bought the bull cheaper. That was what I didn't understand. After the auction, after he'd bought it for a million dollars, I later asked him, I said, Billy Wayne, you, you got bidding against yourself. You, you could have bought the bull a few hundred thousand dollars cheaper than you did, and you just upped the thing to a million dollars. I said, what, what, were you, what was your strategy? He said, well, my strategy was that I knew when I paid a million dollars for this bull, it'd be known as the million-dollar bull, and people would want my bull to do the breeding of their cattle, and I'd make a lot of money. He said, I, I would have, if I'd have bought it less than a million dollars, it wouldn't have made all the uh, cattle magazines and that kind of stuff, agriculture stuff. So he said, that was a deal. But be that as it may, Billy Wayne one day came to my office. He said, preacher, um, he said, I just want to visit with a few minutes. He said, you know, he said, now you were raised in, 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 in rural Georgia. I thought, man, everybody knows I was raised in rural Georgia. He said, uh, now, I've heard you say in sermons you used to plow a horse. And I said, well, that's correct. 
I said, we, we had uh, a neighbor next door and they had a lot of land and they had two boys and I was a son of our family and, 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 and we, we did plow. He said, then you know what a furrow is. I said, well, I know exactly what a furrow is. Yeah, I, I assume all of you do. Like if you're plowing a horse or mule, uh, you're going to plow straight furrow. And of course, if you start looking all over the place, the next thing you know, you're plowing all over the field and your daddy's going to say something to you about it. He said, I want to ask you a question. He said, now, have you ever been plowing out in the field and you're plowing along and you look up and all of a sudden a huge oak tree has just fallen down right in the middle of the field. I have y'all a picture of one. Now that guy plowing has got two animals and looks like he's sitting down on something. I plowed by walking. But anyway, Billy Wayne said, now, if you get in that situation and you're out there in the field all by yourself, you can't pick this big tree up, move the tree. How do you, how do you, how, what do you do when you get to that situation? And I said, well, Billy Wayne, I, I know you're trying to teach me something, but I don't need to know the answer to that. He said, well, I figured you wouldn't. And he said, I'm going to tell you the answer to it. You plow around it. And he said, now, here's why I've come to tell you that. In this church, he said, I've been in this church for years and years. It's a great church. But you're going to have a lot of oak trees fall on you over here in East Texas. And he said, my advice to you is just plow around them. Just plow around them. Now, I was thinking about those two stories as I was getting my Bible lesson for today and reading this thing in Mark chapter 2. And I thought, you know, those are two good lessons. Uh, in life, there are always going to be some mud puddles. There are going to always be some fallen trees. And what we have to do, we just have to keep plugging away and, and just, you know, get through it the best we can. But don't quit. Don't give up. These guys in the story, they didn't give up. They went up on a roof. They had to pull back tar. They had to pull some beams apart, get a hole big enough to lower a man on a cot down in front of Jesus. They didn't give up. But sometimes in life, things happen, and you just think, man, what do I do? Well, I think from this Bible story and many others, I think what God's Word tells us to do is, look, <laughs> just keep going through the mud puddles. Keep plowing around the oak trees. Don't give up. And the rewards will always be out on the other side.